hotelhood noun, the fact or state of being a hotel. In early usage, then, the word hotel attached to a function rather than a particular building type, which comes from A.K. Sandoval Strauss's Hotel in American History. Come on down to Cobbletown, light a wick with me and deal a drink. Light a wick with me through the grove and see that you're everything to me. Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be talking with poet Leah Graham about her book, From the Hotel Burnet, published by Salmon Poetry. Into a hotel I will take my city and roads and the entire moving skin of history. Lisa Robertson. Poet Leah Graham on Arts and Letters. From the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and welcome to Arts and Letters, a program providing opportunities for the celebration of the arts and humanities. Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be talking with poet Leah Graham about her poetry book, From the Hotel Vernon, a poetic, ethnographic, and historic account of her time spent as a bartender in Worcester's Hotel Vernon, with its murals, its shiproom, its speakeasy, and its crazy cast of characters, Maurice the Pants Man, Captain Joe, and the Baker, with appearances by Burl Ives, Al Cap, Babe Ruth, and the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He holds him with his glittering eye. The wedding guest stood still and listens like a three years child. The Mariner hath his will. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Part 1. Come on down to Cobbletown, light a wick with me and deal a dream. Light a wick with me through the grove and see that you're everything to me. Cover ground and don't turn around, feel the apathy begin to weep. The finest tapestry that you'll ever see, just don't pull it over me. The fairy tale hangs up till morning breaks. The overture plays through the overwhelming state. It's coming fresh off the yard. Leah Graham grew up in Northwest Arkansas and has lived in Missouri, Illinois, New Jersey, and Worcester, Massachusetts. It's a Thursday night. The week is almost over. The beer is cold. The company is good. The bartender is beautiful with the lights on or off. Till you take twice, take twice. Take twice, take twice. the longest bar in the city, a place for politicians' backdoor deals, its amen corner, its shiproom, this speakeasy where the babe drank his rookie year, where Captain Joe painted the rhyme of the ancient mariner to these walls, where Burl Ives gifted his wheel and binnacle, Cali Square, there, just beyond the orange door, curves, hooks what was once the canal, now buried under Harding Street for its filth, drownings, cholera. Come on down to Cobbletown, round the bend or straight through the stream. Price and then you'll sing amidst the latency of what is and not to be. The beats and the bait lie for all to see. A boisterous place with no one to simply be. Now, I'm always interested in places and what kinds of values they have. So why, why does the Vernon have this kind of specialness to it? And certainly the murals were a big part of that. But there was something also about the space of the building, the space of Kelly Square. 
Poet Leah Grams from the Hotel Vernon on Arts and Letters. Here. Here is the story I want to tell you. Miller Williams. Leah Graham, poet, bartenderess at the Hotel Vernon, right, for a little while? Yeah. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. I love these kinds of poetry books that combine history and mythology, personal mythology, and a cast of characters. Oh, yeah. And this so well works with the idea of the Hotel Vernon yeah. in, in Worcester. One, I think, just because of its mythology yeah. and its history. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about how you came to be there as a, a bartender. I think it's a pretty good story. I actually have to say that this book, the majority of it got written, or the guts of it, I would say, and certainly the stories of it got written 12 years ago. And I had been teaching at Clark University for about five years, but I'd been living in Worcester for about seven or eight. And so I was in total transition where I was about to get my professor job at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is where I still profess. <laughs> and uh, Profess poetry. Yes, profess poetry <laughs> and literature and you know college writing and a few other things, memoir uh, these days. So I was in transition between jobs. I was in the beginning of a divorce. Yeah, so I was in just this really kind of a strange moment in my life. And um, this would have been around? 2007. Okay. So that summer. And so one night, a much younger friend of mine called me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm in bed. <laughs> and he said, you're too young to be in bed on a Thursday night. And he said, come down to the Hotel Vernon. And I thought, aha. This place I've heard about all these years, and now I'm getting ready to move out of here in a you know, matter of months. Uh, I'd never been there. I'd never been there. It was one of those things that you hear like, oh, you've got to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's kind of scary, right? Mm-hmm. So it had that kind of mythology to it. So I went down, and uh, this friend of mine introduced me to this guy. He goes by many names. His, his real name is Alan Grigg, and um, his parents are both professors, and he comes from a really brainy family, but he is a musician, a street artist. He, he's a real jack of many trades. And so I got to meet, he went by Alley Bombs at the time. Now he goes by Cool Kojak. Anyway, <laughs> he's out in LA. What can I say? I think he's doing quite well for himself. But anyway, so I met Alley, who appears in the book a lot. And sometimes he's Alley, sometimes he's Al. And he was actually living in the hotel mm. and he was doing a documentary of it. And it was just fascinating, all the things that he was telling me. And he was explaining to me, so in the Hotel Vernon are these fantastic murals that were painted in the late 1930s and early 40s, mostly by Captain Joe Myron, who was the son-in-law of the McGady family who owned the Hotel Vernon for a long, long time. But one of them, one of the back panels, was painted by Al Cap. Now, Growing up in Arkansas, the only way I ever saw Arkansas nationally was through Lil Abner. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know it at the time. I do know it now through research, and that is that actually, you know, Dogpatch in the comic strip was actually set in Kentucky. And then, of course, we know that the amusement park got built in Marble Falls in like 68 or 69 with LCAP's support, but I always associated that with Arkansas. And so the moment that Al tells me that here's this guy that I know from my childhood that's contributed to this strange place, I thought, I've got to work here. April wedding at the Vernon Hotel. Plastic roses and chicken marsala and yellow cake. A boombox on the piano bench serenades us. Chantilly lace and put your head on my shoulder and young love. 
the kids on the sly buy PBR and say, our mother's not a drinker. They're all gray-suited in white socks hanging around Millbury Street leaned up against Narragansett in blonde brick. In her patent leather pumps in mid-60s, the bride processes down the ship room to let me entertain you. The groom is a map maker. No dancing except for the toddlers. They tell me later, oh, we're wild. Let me just tell you a bit about this. This was the first day I ever worked at the Vernon. And they had a wedding. And they had a wedding. And I still know the bride and groom. I still, once in a while, especially run into him. And he's a map maker. He is actually a map maker. But it was just this bizarre thing because, you know, there were, you know, an older couple having this wedding at the Vernon. And then their kids were, they were like, they didn't want the bride to pay for their beers. And so they were like, even though they were grown, mm. they were sneaking beers. And but it was just bizarre. The whole thing was just this loony Welcome thing. To the hotel exactly. <laughs> and I thought, I, I got to keep working here. This is fantastic. We're talking with poet Leah Graham about her book from the Hotel Vernon. We'll be back in a minute. Let's rejoin our conversation with poet Leah Graham about her book from the Hotel Vernon. Where I found myself that summer bartending at the Vernon, leaping over the longest oak bar in the city that first night to wake the young Pole, who had laid his head on a table, the drools starting to pull, and when he finally wobbled up, Patsy Klein booming crazy from the jukebox. Grabbed a dollar draft from Joe's grip, yelled Zimni Pivo and chugged before running down Millbury Street into the night of this neighborhood once called the Island, then Green Island. Now the Canal District, though the canal lies beneath Harding Street like a quashed rumor. A revolving door of cops hustling meth couples, slow dragging the checkered tile at noon. Orbison's only the lonely, reeling out the orange door. A list of scratch patrons hidden behind the register with crucifix and Hershey bar. So walking in there, it's five stories tall mm -hmm. is the hotel, and it's between Water Street and Millbury Street in Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a tan and brick building, and there's that Miller Lite sign. Is that Was that there when you oh, were yeah, there? Oh, yeah, totally. It's the Miller Lite sign that kind of adorns it. Let's just imagine and do your best because you're a poet, so you can okay. describe things. We walk in the front door, mm -hmm. and it's just majestic in so many ways. Yeah. What would we see? Um, so you would walk in the door, and it's pretty dark. The whole place is fairly dark. You would immediately see the murals because the murals pretty much cover in that the front room. They cover all the walls. But you'd also see, like— Things that the owner and other bartenders and whoever else has come along have tacked up along the way. But then there's like a big picture of Babe Ruth who drank there his rookie year when he was with the Red Sox. And um, he lived up the hill, but he'd come down. I think sometimes he would even stay in the hotel and drink a lot and eat raw hamburger. That was the one story that, about really? him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... There's a picture of Babe Ruth over the door. So you'd have to, if you enter, you'd have to turn around and, and see him. To your left is the jukebox, of course, which right. I write a lot about. You do. Yeah. And music so pervades. Music, yeah, absolutely. But they also have a picture of Roy Orbison over the bar. And then just knickknacks and things like that. And then the back panel is the Al Cap panel. 
And then if you walk into the other room, there is an area, it used to be a kitchen. There still is a kitchen, it's not in operation, but a kind of open area where there's a pool table. But there's also, and this got built in the 1940s by, I think it's a French architect, a performance room called the Ship Room. And it's supposedly modeled after the second birth of the Mayflower. And a giant ship wheel. A giant ship wheel, yeah. Which was donated by Burl Ives. Yes. So Burl Ives was also a friend of Joe Myron's. I think they used to go fishing together. But all the booze are fashioned with, like, portholes. Yeah. And there are all these crazy sayings. sayings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did try to do something with those sayings. They were just so... Fascinating. You, so you I have a couple it. of yeah, them. Yeah, they're um, great. All I want <laughs> is six friends to serve as pallbearers and some women to weep a little. And this is another one. May our love of the glass never let us forget decency. Legend says the Mayflower's lower deck was the model christened Madame Rhubarb for the impossible Polish chambermaid of speakeasy fame. Wedding perfect and perfect for wars, send-offs, I mean, for sailors, for soldiers, get a job, get a room, caucus in unofficial headquarters. And 60 years ago, what the neighbors did in these worn seats, tables singed, smoldering, Carved ribs in phantom dances, each table its own lit porthole. Burl Ives wheel and binnacle, salvaged from a Hoboken ferry, Captain Joe's gift. On stage and once, the compass held north by northwest, then stolen away. Once, 10,000 good times gone. Or as they say, at ebb tide, a ghost ship almost. So, and this is fascinating. The Vernon and the Blackstone Canal are like one street away. And if you know your Industrial Revolution history, you know the Blackstone Canal is where it all began, right? That changed everything from farm to factory. The first water-powered factory was down in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is only about half an hour or so away, by car anyway, from Worcester. But the Blackstone Canal was just a street away from the Hotel Vernon. And so it was built in the 1820s by Irish immigrants, stonemasons. Oh man, people in Worcester were not happy about the Irish. They were like, build this canal and get out. Uh, But of course they didn't. And Worcester's quite an Irish town still. And so they built the canal and that's where they were floated tons of everything. There's a poem in the book about all the things that they floated down there. Much was liquor. Much was liquor.
Rumors at the Blackstone Canal. They say it's under Harding Street. What Dan and Trojan Mick find fishing, some lost thing, lift the manhole cover, peer down. Once called a shot in the arm, once called progress, sold to PNW Railroad for $22,500 in the city Dickens described as having an aspect of newness, as if built and painted that morning. Now chain links, now Titan Roofing Incorporated, now plastic swans, now space available. They say it floated St. Croix rum, cognac, holland gin, canary wine inland. Butter, chairs, quinsigamon coal, grindstone, slate, iron and glue, wire, carding machines, cotton and molasses to Narragansett Bay. They said struck by the gloom of the nights except for candles, torches, fireplaces, and Betty lamps. Called a promise of looking glasses crockery, India rubber. Residents displaying blotched and scrofulous skin, pockmarks from smallpox, impetigo, head lice, gout, the gravel, worms for reasons still unclear, drownings, especially in winter, annual events, ulcers and sores, scorbutic eruptions, piles and diseases of females. Now East Coast Auto Works. Now a cloud like a river spilling its shore. Now street lights bent to this bowed street, the long filling of the once longest canal. Help us with just a few sure. of these images. <laughs> it begins with Dickens describing the city of an aspect of newness right. as if it was painted that morning, right. yet at the same yeah. time, yeah. it's suffering from all these maladies yeah. that would be around in a city, let's say, like London. So thank you for asking me this, because I think as I've sat with this book, one of the things I realized was that I've really been interrogating, and still am in other projects that I have, what it means to create progress. And Worcester was once called progress, and Dickens said this, right, visited it and thought, like, look at this. By the time we get to the impetigo and gout, the canal is no longer in use, so I'm playing around with time here. Here's what it's like now. But Got shortly it. thereafter, you know, all these things that they floated down, they stopped using it, and that's when all these things started to happen. Then it, it was just this uh, cesspool yeah. uh, that ran through the city, and that's why they covered it up in, like, I think it was 1899. They say where the water runs deep, 45 miles parallel to Blackstone's head, Ballard and Millbury merging. No open honey wagons, please. What's a honey wagon? It's uh, essentially a latrine okay. of sorts. Well said. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. And, and they, they talk about that trough. Now this blued figure under Western Union in a swift photograph after drinks and laughs across field stones revealed through blacktop, forgotten gas lamps down from Woodoff's Thursday night. Leather and prunelle shoes, buffalo robes and shingles sent to the Queen of England. Hold yourself right now. Corral the axe, complete to crash or reach the clouds. Hold yourself right now. Hold yourself or run along. They say mackerel, sugars, rice, and spices, 53,967 gallons of intoxicating liquors, 50,000 gallons of ale, chocolate, and paper. They said drunkenness and what to do about it. They say Abby Kelly Foster, Lucy Stone, Clara Barton, Dorothea Dix, and Abe Lincoln overnight on Elm Street years and 49 locks ago called arterial rumor, called manufactured romance. Control yourselves right now. Forget your name to play the game and make me proud. 
arterial rumor? I think the thing about the the canal is that it's it's there. You can lift up a manhole and look down and you can see, you know, it's there right. running underneath the street. But it's like a rumor. It actually is a kind of artery through the city that's rumored more than it's seen. Now, Blue Monday with the cockroaches. Now, Abby Hoffman at the El Morocco. Now, Maurice the Pants Man. Called Pass, Cough, and Slough. Called John Brown's Whim. Captain Bob's Wish. Called John Brown's Troth. They say Worcester, heart of the Commonwealth, city of the seven hills. Let's rejoin our conversation with poet Leah Graham about her book from the Hotel Vernon. It's Stosh, Bamal, and Eggy at the bar, 12.36 p.m., a Thursday, July. I haven't seen Charlie for days or read the rhyme of the ancient mariner in years. The warrior has mail and wanders down, plays Orbison, shadow boxes. I haven't seen Charlie since he was fired. Upstairs after a trip to the packy, he smokes, florid and slow. The warrior asks the mirror, what you looking at? I'm the warrior. After a packy run, Charlie smokes, slowly recalls last week's fight with his boss on Green Street. Fell asleep in the underground's breaking in silence, silence. Fell asleep in the underground's breaking in silence. Till the crashes and burns, or pulls at the strings and you're flashing and turns. These characters, they had a bit of a community. Who were some of the characters you met? Probably the one that I felt closest to was this guy named Charlie. I think all of the characters that play any kind of real role here are gone now. And so Charlie, actually in the book, I pretty much just put this monologue of his in there where he basically charges me with telling the truth. And if you can't write the truth, then don't write anything at all. And I recorded that sitting with him upstairs one Friday afternoon with some of the other community members. And, you know, what he was saying is, you only know the bar, which is happy. You don't know the sadness and the loneliness up here and the bugs and you know, the bed bugs and the cold and winter and the heat and summer and that sort of thing. But he was also a guy that would come in and always want me to serve him Sambuca. And he was very funny so, of course, you would kind of want to, but at one point you just had to say, Charlie, enough is enough and all that sort of thing. And anyway, he would come in and, and say, I, I think I lost my wallet. You know, anyway, he had all these stories, um, but I was pretty close with him or as close as you can get, you know, to a character like that. With yeah. Charlie, I, yeah. I love how you say, which is it, Charlie, a fight or the cops? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, know, no, he I, says, hey, I won't fight if you don't call yeah, the yeah, cops, no, but the, that guy's a jerk, and I'm yeah, telling yeah, you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, And then, yes, and I did really say that, you know, I did say, or something to that effect of, like, you know, beer but no Sambuca, Charlie, you know. Um, so, yeah, he was kind of his, his own worst enemy, but, boy, he entertained us for sure. Fell asleep in the underground's breaking in silence. Fell asleep in the underground's breaking in silence. Everyone has a name that they're better known by than their actual given name. 
And that was really true, not just of the Vernon, but of, of Worcester in particular, I thought. But that may be true everywhere. I'm not quite sure, you know. Maybe it's just the ways in which tight-knit communities work. Do you know them well enough to, to know their nickname? I see. Like Lord Pork or Pac-Man Pat. Yeah, Maurice the Pants Man. Yeah, that guy is a, a Worcester legend. He sold everybody their blue jeans. Everybody I ever knew that lived in Worcester <laughs> all knew Maurice the Pants Man, who used to sell blue jeans down the street from the Vernon. I never met him, but I, how can you not put Maurice the Pants Man in your, in, in your poems, you know? Feel your But you're laughing and you're not the place where the seasons mend. Homeless or rising So the degree we can, and I'm trying to find one poem that we can actually use about this guy, which is the baker. The baker was the most pathetic of all of these characters. He was the one that probably died, you know, the soonest. And then he would say things like, you know, I have some mice and I feed them saltines. They don't eat very much. They keep me company. Hours of mice in silence, sacks of peanuts, stale Hershey bar, hotel pens, darts, magnifying glass, Bobby D and Betty penciled on scrap, a crucifix. We're talking with poet Leah Graham about her book from the Hotel Vernon. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and this is Arts and Letters. Let's rejoin our conversation with poet Leah Graham, talking about her book, From the Hotel Vernon. The railroad moved in in 1835 and started to displace the canal. And so the canal really only operated for about 20 years or so. And then it just stood as an open sewer in the city. Right. Around the 20s, it was made accessible to bootleggers who would bring rum and moonshine from Providence to Worcester. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And in the basement of this hotel, there still stands the speakeasy. Right. Which and was never, like you would think, people would jazz it up. But they didn't, right? But when you go down into the the speakeasy, there's definitely a presence. And, and that's the, in the basement. That's in the basement. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there's nothing down. They have not made it nice. I mean, right. as you said, right? right? And so, Which surprised me a little because, yeah. you know, speakeasies are all the rage now. Right. In some ways that you would right. think they might have ruined it in the sense that right. they would have upgraded it. Right. But yeah. no, it's more no. a, a place yeah. to visit. Right. And so one of the things about the speakeasy in the Vernon itself, and and you can kind of see this in the book, is that women weren't allowed in the bar for a very long time. And I don't know when they were, they probably didn't start happening until the 60s or 70s, but they weren't allowed in the bar and they weren't allowed down in the speakeasy unless you were there to do stuff. The way you got in was through the password was Madame Rhubarb sent me. 
So a couple of things about Madame Rhubarb. She was a Polish chambermaid that worked at the hotel. That I think Al Cap kind of had a theme for. I, one of the guys who were part of this group of painters or uh, newspapermen, maybe even politicians that hung out together, had what they called the Kelly Square Yacht Club. But because, of course, there was no water. I mean, the canal had been covered over, and it was sort of like to thumb their noses at Boston. Hmm. Well, anyway, so in the speakeasy, they used this Polish chambermaid's name to get in. Mm -hmm. And so it's the one way in which women are still sort of present, but yet, you know, they're really quite not. Tale of the Ship Room. Legend says... The Mayflower's lower deck was the model, christened Madame Rhubarb for the impossible Polish chambermaid of speakeasy fame. Wedding perfect and perfect for wars, send-offs, I mean, for sailors, for soldiers, get a job, get a room. You gotta take the train till the bus doesn't fly The freak show Take twice at the Mastodon Better turn out the lights until you can't recollect it I'm right on the fence now that you bought it And I stayed at a fence now that you caught it I'm breaking the bed so let's get on and top the ravenous kisses With the names that you list out Vernon got built around the same year that the Blackstone Canal got covered up, okay, because people were drowning in it, and it was just a health hazard. Then the Vernon Hotel got built to be the fancy hotel at the edge of the city where politicians could do their backdoor deals. Oh. So it actually started in grandeur, and decade by decade, partially because of prohibition, but just decade by decade, it fell more and more into dereliction. And there are all these historical reasons for that. One was prohibition. The next was the Interstate Act of, what is it, 1956, that Eisenhower proposes that just slices that neighborhood in, in half. half. Yeah. With the highway. Yeah, and just changes all the foot traffic. Shed a light and mold the path to flow. Or ride the circuit till you can't understand the one And make like another egg on the shelf I'll crack the same joke twice and try to re-resurrect it Till it's over the sun We're frozen having some fun A stage arranges the want To knock the new age forward and market it music because it's so throughout this you have Roy Orbison you have Debbie Harry you have Elton John with Honky Cat yeah it seems that the music is the backdrop for everything and Mm -hmm. it makes sense since you're the bartender but more so than other poems about hotels and bars that Mm -hmm. I've read because Often for, I think, bartenders, the music becomes just kind of a white noise. They don't even hear it after a while. But yet, it seems like these songs set the stage for so many stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the music? Um, you say Roy Orbison yeah. is there above the yeah. door in terms of some oh, of his, yeah. his well, quotes. The, okay, so the thing about Roy Orbison, who I did a lot of research on, because the guys would, first of all, they loved Roy Orbison. And they would come down and when I did it, worked a day shift, and they would play all this Roy Orbison. And they would always play my least favorite Roy Orbison song, Alia. I can't stand that song to this day. <laughs> and they would come back to the bar and they'd say, I played something for you. And I was like, oh, God. But they would say things, you know, some of these guys would come and they'd say, you know, that kid, he could sure sing. 
And, you know, and of course, Roy Orbison's been dead how many decades now, right? Um, but I think that's the thing about music. It's so in the present, no matter how long ago, in, just by the recording of it. So I did a lot of research on, on jukeboxes. Partially because I needed to kind of unromanticize them for myself because as a kid, that was one of my brothers and I, we loved the jukebox. And it was one of the few indulgences that our parents allowed us, you know, they would give us some quarters or what have you. And then also I would hear that from other people, you know, that that was a thing in their own childhoods as well. So I did quite a lot of research about Rockola, who was a Canadian guy who designed these jukeboxes. But anyway, so there's that. But the other thing about music, and I wish I could take credit for this, but this comes from my friend Victor Infante, who lives in Worcester and who is a music critic there, is that it captures a time of your life. And so if you've heard something as a kid, you can go back emotionally to that moment. And so as Victor says, pop songs are the emotional timeline of our uh, lives, lives, right? It's true. And so... A lot of the things that were on the jukebox were things that I'd grown up listening to. Do you know of a poem right off the top of your head that has a lot of music allusions? I, I have a um, couple of them. Let's see. Well, I mean, there's the Ishmael writes to Debbie Harry. Ishmael writes to Debbie Harry. Call me across ocean reveries. Call me from against the spiles. Call me at the spouter inn into the wailing church on time. Call me with side-lunging strides. Call me your top 40 hit. Call me your number one jawbone prosthetic, your heart of glass, your new wave, your stub or Starbuck or flask, your three-chord Tashtigo, your dreaming Sunday cannibal, your 30,000 shark teeth, your humpback rhyme master, Breathe like a pod of right whales at midnight into my ear. I could be your stabilitus loci, your garden of amorphous concealment, your finny tribe, or spherical, your rapture. Shed a light and mold a path to flow. Or ride the circuit till you can't understand no one. And make like another egg on the shelf. I'll crack the same joke twice and try to re-resurrect it. Till it's over the sun We're frozen having some fun A stage arranges the want To knock the new age forward A market I don't think we can talk about poetry without talking a little bit about the, the literary in this. And it oh. makes sense because <laughs> you're the professor <laughs> and the drunks want to talk about Faulkner. Ah, I know. And you're great? Southern. I, yeah. And, so they ha- was, and you're from, you know. Yeah. To what degree did they want to talk about poetry with you or literary things or there's the poems on the wall and yeah. all these sayings yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I'm just yeah. wondering to the degree they kind of wanted yeah. to at least engage you in some literary they, Well, so, and I think you'll understand this being a teacher yourself, right? That to what extent do you want to be doing that when you're not doing it? And so they wanted to talk about it, but in a way where I was just praising them. And we all understand that as students, that we just, that's where we really want is just, you know, our teachers to praise us. And so when I would give them assignments, and of course, they all wanted to write haikus, but they loved that I was a writer and they saw me reading too. So when it was not busy, I would read behind the bar. Oh, you would? Especially during the day shifts where, you know, there might be two people there. You would read poetry? Or I'd read poetry. Read Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I did. Well, <laughs> did I, I went back to the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I read all that, and I also looked at the Doré etchings of depictions of it as well. What a cool bartender. I would want to be there if you're reading Oh, uh, well, Because I've never seen I, that in my yeah, life. Really? <laughs> no, okay, no, yeah. no. The book that I really read over, because, of course, it's that book that if you're a poet and you go to grad school, you're reading this book, which is Gaston Bachelard's The Poetics of Space. 
And what I was really trying to figure out, along with this large question about progress, was about space. And so at one point, and this is kind of funny, uh, in one of the more experimental poems in the book, I had found while reading Bachelard, I'd found in back of the cash register an old list of scratched patrons. And they're just loony names, right? And so most of them either, I might have messed around with some of them a little bit or uh, messed with the music of some of them, but it was just gold, you know, to find, these are all the people that have been kicked out. What I do is I mash up bits of bachelor arts lines and put these Looney Tune names of all these people who have been kicked out. Poetics of the Scratch Patron for Garen Cycle. If Matthew O'Leary called 911, a universe withdrawn to corners, miniaturizing or what bears the mark of infinity, Lana, do you wanna, always in our daydreams, the house protects the dreamer for dealing in the John Ritchie, this cosmos of the half open. How we take root day after day in a corner of the world, peril no teeth, before our outspread fields and daring Lisa be the leech to daring associations. Round cries bum Tommy of round being. Alive contradictions accumulate. Bobby, serve at your own risks, intimacy, or imagined as a vertical being with increased intensity. Doyle, the fat one, subject to dispersions. The mind loses, big genie, its geometric homeland. None other CC and hang of a wine-deep sea. Larry and Steve, the human Ferris wheel, imagining degrees in unity. Or Nelly, the cannoli, fighting Johnny Mumbles under the sky's cupola. This curdled quiet trembles before Al's buddy, Damien, sensing a square stability or what depth these echoes giant tony seems memory's refuge the simpler the image georgie for swearing at bartenders the vaster this dream recalls songs charms pure threshold juxtaposition yeah yeah which is among the highest intellectual pieces that we might read in relation to this bar yeah and then the uh the scratched patrons names i mean it's just very very clever that was the one thing that i really wanted in this book is i wanted there to be a range of things that you got and not just fix more accessible narratives because those are easy, and if, I mean, and not to say that they're necessarily emotionally or morally easy or accessible, perhaps, but in terms of understanding what's going on or who these people are. Oh, I'm a little bit contagious and scattered like old fallen pages. Oh, and a little bit insane, yeah, I'm flattered by old. I like you in relation to the past Leah or the past persona of Leah mm-hmm. in relation to the present of Vernon. The reason I wanted to talk about this just a little is just the philosophy of the notion of a hotel, which is mm-hmm. a home, but not a home. Exactly. A place to be, but not your place to be right. permanently. Yeah. Furniture that is similar but isn't yours. Right. I saw myself, a mirrored window, 
like Arbus twins, one-armed and lazy-eyed, that ambiguity of lips, wherever you go, there you are. One thing I did want to tell you that I learned about hotels was that hotels as we know them today are a wholly American invention, and they came about um, through the presidency of George Washington, because when he did his first tour as he became president, he wanted to avoid any kind of preferential treatment to his friends, and so he stayed in taverns. And these places were not good. <laughs> uh, talk about bad food and bed bugs. But because he was doing that tour of the 13 colonies, you know, people were like, oh, if the president's going to come and stay in these places, it started a, a trend towards nicer places to stay. So while the word is French and, you know, that it, you know all that, um, what we know of hotels today comes from George Washington's early presidency. Bringing my sailors back, we're lost to sell the tale. Free one, she fetched the pail. Right Who's bringing my sailors back to fan the ruse of hell? For a break in the cell. Into a hotel, I will take my city and roads and the entire moving skin of history. Lisa Robertson. Ooh, just a little bit capsaicin to wither my tongue out for ages. Broadcast from the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, you've been listening to Arts and Letters. Thanks for joining us. To check out past episodes, go to artsandlettersradio.org. Leave us a comment there and let us know what you've thought about the program. Thank you to composer, singer, and songwriter, the amazing Adam Simon, for the astounding soundscape. Once the longest bar in the city, a place for politicians back to It's Amen Corner, it's Shipman. Thank you to Donovan Suit of Rural War Room for the mashup mayhem. A special thank you to Mary Ellen Cubitt for the story editing advice. Thank you to Adam Simon of Simon Sound for helping to mix and for mastering the program. Thank you to Sticky's Rock and Roll Chicken Shack for keeping music alive and well in Arkansas. Thank you to Gil, Reagan, Owen, PA Little Rock, a full-service law firm focusing on the documentation and closing of business transactions, business-related litigation, employment law matters, and taxation planning. Generous funding for Arts and Letters was provided by the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you to poet Leah Graham for recovering the history and remembering the colorful cast of characters from the Hotel Vernon. For Arts and Letters, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick. Let's heed the words of Charles Bukowski. Poetry is what happens when nothing else can. Arts and Letters is a production of Living the Dream Media.